0: Hey guys, Kenise Middleton here.
1: Danny Wright. We
0: are Color Scheme.
1: The most dynamic mother and son pair. Talking on topics like entrepreneurship. Personal development, being your personal best. Navigating corporate America, you name it. We got you. So join us, listen to these episodes.
0: We got something for everybody. This is the best podcast out.
1: If you listen to it, you will win. And we are back. Color <laughs> Color scheme podcast, we are here. getting into the nitty gritty of That's what right. is going on right now, That's happening. especially as we begin to transition into yep. the fall and yep. winter, yep. COVID's still normal. here.
0: Yep. We're moving into our new normal. Got to talk about the
1: new normal today. We Got to talk, to talk about the about new normal, normal today. We've
0: experienced it for some months and now we're moving into, we are existing in yeah. this new normal. We are so existing in this time. new normal. Game time. on. This is, is,
1: on. is it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I think a lot of people need to hear about is how to navigate being burnt out in yeah. your home workspace. Right, now, right, right. Because, you know, traditionally when you're working a nine nine to six or, you know, eight to five or whatever it is, like you have a set time, you come in, you have a yeah. set time, you leave. Now when you're home, yeah, you are starting your day at whatever time you meet and start, whatever yeah. time you feel like you yeah. need to. And then, really, you're at home all day, and that can that can that doesn't give you a cutoff time like yeah. when you're in the office and you're going home. Now you just kind of sit until your deliverables are done. I've talked to a lot of people that yeah. have been like, you know, I'm actually working more now.
0: Yeah, I've heard that a lot even before COVID um, hit. When we had uh, a workforce that worked from home, whether it be once or twice a week. I often heard that from people that they were uh, working longer hours because they were home because they you know it's kind of like a butt in the seat just kind of sitting there um, feeling that I, I don't know if it's just a personal sense of feeling that you need to be a little bit more committed because you're home or if you are realistically getting more things kind of hit at you at once that you you are actually there longer than you should be because of just the, the volume of work. I think it's a little bit of both, but, you know, nevertheless, it doesn't matter whether you're home or physically in an office, you, you need to to really manage your time so that you're not getting burnt out from putting in longer hours than you need to. So a lot of it, I think, is time management. Um, you know, we've we've experienced that now with, with COVID, um, there are lots of kind of juggling responsibilities that people have. They have children at home, they have, Uh, doctor's appointments, they have a number of things that they would typically have already throughout the day. But now that they're home, they have potentially more people in the house, physically in the house with them. And that can cause for more interruptions and more challenges in, in sort of needing more breaks and more uh, directed attention to other things. So it's like you're breaking, you're coming back, you're breaking, you're coming back, and that just in itself could cause you to have a longer day. So I think it's important for people to have time management and really recognize what their day is starting to look like because you don't want that to be your new norm. If you were spending eight hours and that's what you're required to do based on your job, uh, requirements. You don't want to. You don't want to spend 10, 12 hours and miss out on aspects of your personal life and other things that you need to tend to. So I think everybody needs to stop and do a check.
1: But with your kids at home and like needing to now serve them lunch and fix them breakfast yeah. and do all these these nitty gritty tasks during the day, like naturally that would extend your day. And One. also a lot of, a lot of us don't know what it's it's looking like. Like yeah, school is starting, but we don't know what it looks like right. to actually be at home. With our kids, needing to help them with their homework, help them with their schoolwork, yeah, again feeding them, you know, three times a day, and making sure that they're all right, while also trying to navigate working. Like yeah. that's a whole different, that's a brand new paradigm that we just have not experienced.
0: Right, and I think that you know, it's what, given the the nuance and it's the the changes in the dynamics of the day, your day is naturally going to extend a bit more, you know, out to, uh, if you stopped at five o'clock, it may extend to seven, eight, nine o'clock because you're juggling responsibilities. But that shouldn't mean, that shouldn't mean that you're actually spending more time at work. That means that you're, 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 you're accounting for flexibility in your day so that you're still actually doing your eight hour day or nine hour day or whatever it is. You're still doing it, but you're now doing it, uh a little differently adding flexibility in it because you have to attend to your children and other responsibilities so that's one group of people but we're also talking about the people who are now spending extra time and extra hours just because they're home they may not have the new dynamic of having children at home and other responsibilities some people like i said i've experienced even before covid even for myself where i felt the need to work longer hours because i was home and i don't know something about not having your peers around you know people to talk to the office dynamic it may just just kind of uh, make you concentrate a little bit more on the tasks that you're doing where you know five o'clock turns into six o'clock seven o'clock eight o'clock and and from just working like that and feeling a sense of responsibility that might be different from what you felt in the office you have to check yourself because that will become your new normal
1: of that though is the employer also you know being able to communicate and articulate that to their staff like understanding that because we're in a new environment that a lot of people you know aren't 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 accustomed to with organizing their time and managing their time and managing their kids and all the different nuances now they're dealing with with their home life you know with whether their parents are there they got their their kids friends over whatever like it's important for employers to now put that into their SOPs and put that into their manuals and put that into the way they communicate with their their staff to say hey we understand that this is where the world is now right and it's important for You all to know that we have your back. Right. We understand that every single one of us are in this together. And so we need to have open lines of communication to ensure that we are all hitting our deliverables, but everyone is not getting burnt out and not stressing themselves out. And if you need help or assistance from us or you need more flexibility, like let's talk about that. What does flexibility look like in your home environment right now so that we can make sure that our culture and and the way that we we work collectively is on par with what everyone needs whether that's changing yeah. meeting times uh, ensuring that if we are having check-ins there at the same time right and if we do need to push like we aren't like making sure that the way the same way you you create a culture within your workplace your physical workplace now creating a culture within your Absolutely. virtual workplace that everyone understands that with open lines of communication yeah. so that it is much easier on your staff members to ensure that everyone is progressing forward yeah. during and, this difficult time. and you said time. something I
0: think was really important. We're now moving into fall. So we've had um, a, a transition that started about March for most organizations through the summer. Now we're moving into fall. So we've had uh, a number of months to kind of experience this, experience this remote workforce, experience the flexibility and the changes and the dynamics that it's brought upon people and organizations. So now is the time for leaders to, to really be thinking about how to foster that culture that you're talking about. So we, you know, we had the we had the kind of we're, we're winging it, trying to figure it out in the past couple of months. And I think we're at a point where we have now established a new normalcy that needs a little bit more structure. So putting a little bit more structure would look like, OK, you, you need flexibility in your day. You being everybody, not singling certain people out. This is something that's needed because beyond the fact that people need the time for, you know, tending to their kids and things like that, People are stressed out. People are having uh, people are in mental duress. People are challenged just from the volume of data and information that's out there about death and sicknesses and all the things that are happening with the pandemic, with racial inequality. All of that is hitting people at once. So I think it's, a, it's the organization's responsibility not only to foster a different culture that has flexibility and leave and new dynamics for their day, but, but also for everybody who's experiencing the newness of, of the norm that we now have, and we don't know when it's going to end. So we need to be establishing what that looks like for people right now. And that shouldn't, you know, that shouldn't mean that it's, you're requiring people to do 12-hour days now. Actually, what you should be doing from an organizational perspective is telling people you support them and giving them the opportunity and the flexibility to do the things that they need to do. With some constraints, you know, I'm not saying that an organization needs to develop a brand new leave policy or a brand new formal benefits package that includes X, Y, and Z. That that I think would be a good idea longer term. But right now, I support you. You need time. If you need time, if you need a break, if you need extended lunch, whatever it is that you need, you know what you need to do in a day if if you know a manager's responsibility is let's check it check in on what needs to be done let's check in on what needs to be done for the week all right so we know all these things need to be accomplished in a week let's work and do it the way we need to you know given the dynamic that we're in right now that doesn't mean that you sit at your desk for eight hours and i'm checking in on you every hour to see if you're doing your work that means you have five days to get x amount of things done let's work together to get that done absolutely let's change how we do that
1: one of the things that I believe is probably adversely affecting people is, is when they have managers um, and supervisors that aren't good leaders that are now saying, hey, you're at home all day, you should be able to answer my call, or you should be able to do X, Y, and Z in this amount of time, and not creating that that openness that people, and that flexibility that people need, because, again, everyone doesn't have kids at home, everyone doesn't have constraints, right? Like, I know for me personally, as, as an employer, I don't have kids. I don't have really any right, other responsibilities. Right. So, you know, I could easily be like, hey, going to my going to my staff members, like, hey, I know you don't have kids. Or, hey, I know X Y right. Z, like why are you not answering the phone. I need yep. you right now. I need yep. you to come to this event right now. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Yep. Or we're volunteering with kids. Like, you should be able to change your schedule tomorrow and just right. pull up, you know. And it's important for, again, those open lines of communication and for, for employees and staff members to be able to have those conversations. But it's not... Even though they should be comfortable opening up like that, the onus should not be on them. It, no, it absolutely shouldn't. has to be on the employers and the supervisors and the managers to 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 come from a top-down approach to say, hey, we're with you and we need to have flexibility. And
0: in the absence of that, one of the reasons why those managers are micromanaging or uh poorly managing people is because their leadership sucks. So they suck. So they don't know how to manage that better. And when I say that, I mean, it, it's just like you said, it starts from the top. So if the leadership hasn't said, this is how we're gonna, we're gonna lead this organization. We're dealing with X, Y, and Z. We are going to be flexible in how we lead this culture and lead this organization to a better environment and a better place and getting things done and executing the mission of our organization. We're still gonna do all that, but this is now how we need to do it. That needs to sometimes be directed and designated to managers this is how you need to 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 manage your, your people your staff and this is how you need to behave in that way in absence of that people fall to some of their human instincts i need to know what you're doing i need to know when you're doing it i need you to clock in i need you to tell me this i need you to tell me oh by the way you don't have kids so where have you been that that is just nonsense you treating people like that and you expect people to produce and produce well and to and to meet their deadlines you that's that's just not that doesn't That is not conducive to a positive uh, uh, workplace where people are productive. So it starts from the top. You're you're absolutely right for those managers to be good managers and and to to be able to shift and change and move in this culture in a way that's conducive for productivity, because that's the bottom line, we want people to work. I always say that, we want people to work. So Mm -hmm. if you want people to work, that's the bottom line. If you need and want them to work, you have to create an environment where they can do that and they can do that well and i don't know too many people that can be successful with the pressures of micromanagement and uncertainty and negativity and all these different uh behaviors that are not conducive to people working but it starts from the leadership the leadership has to direct the culture in that way and show people that they are uh walking the talk and talking the walk like they have to do a little bit of both they can't just you know, have people think that they, you know, have people read their minds. They have to actually articulate it and say this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And here's the expectation around that. So that has to happen.
1: And and in those situations where I guess the leadership isn't strong or the 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 corporate governance isn't structured in a way where it is very top down and, and flexible, how can employees and staff members really set those expectations for themselves and manage it. because let's be let's be frank the job market isn't just open right now it isn't just easy to just be like all right you know what my my workplace is difficult right now or my manager doesn't get it or there's not enough flexibility i'm gonna roll out like it's it's a very limited job market right now but it's 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 important for people to understand how they can set those expectations right now especially especially before we get far into the school year, yeah. you know, and, and they're able to navigate that because otherwise people, a lot of people going to be stuck.
0: One of the things that I, I truly believe and, and I've lived it, is um taking responsibility for your career it is yours it is not your managers to navigate for you it is not for your leadership to navigate for you It's easy to say but a lot of people don't get that a lot of
1: people don't get
0: that though (laughs) i understand that they don't don't get it but let's start with the truth of that statement right yeah the truth and the fact of the matter is when you take a job when you are working through your career it is yours yeah. Nobody has to invest in you. It is your organization's responsibility to take care of its people globally want, in a number sort of want, different ways. We want an organization
1: to invest in this. However, but,
0: your but, career is yours. But exactly. you're right. You're right. A lot of people don't know what that means. A lot of people, don't, they don't understand that. A lot of times they don't know where to start. I, I, you know, I believe in confrontation in the workplace. And people, you do. Pe- you and people do. Absolutely. And people think about that in a, in a negative way. But I believe you have to confront a situation yeah. to get an outcome. You cannot be silent and just hope and wish and dream. Tell them again. That tell, them, <laughs> tell, them again tell them again. You, you gotta be you, confrontational. You have to. You have to and I, and I know it's, it's scary and it's stressful and it's all these feelings that go along with it. But very with often it. what
1: you'll find is when you when you push confrontation yeah. forward in the workplace, yeah. that your manager or supervisor or the person you're, you're, you're pushing it on will then draw back. Right. Like they'll they'll naturally draw back because they don't that expectation isn't there. Right. Right. And And they're not used to it. They're
0: not used to it. So. So it's almost like you always have to think about it like the the shock of it is where the human that's where the human lives. Right. That's where the human lives. So when you go to your manager they are shocked that you have confronted them about something, and we're not talking about. I think when people think about confrontation, they think about yelling and this. And yeah, no, we're, we're not talking, talking about that. About, we're we're talking, talking about professional
1: that, conversations yeah, that articulate and bring up point a problem very pointedly, and very pointedly, and these are the facts.
0: Yep, yep, these are and, the facts. and a lot of managers.
1: Are people
0: you would think you would think people would be accustomed to that mm-hmm. by now because, you know, we, we try to have truth and honesty in the workplace. But, but that's not the case. It's not the case.
1: It's not the case. These open door policies are fake. It, right. Fate. It's not the case. They, they, yep. So
0: you're, you're the best way to do that is to confront it. And now, like you said, given that we're moving into fall, we have this normal people know now what they need yeah. from them. An, and you, you're right. Um, the job market is not one that it, we're not in a state where people would just quit and just go find a job tomorrow in some industries, maybe. But what you need to do is remix your environment. Mm. And how do you do that? You can't wait for your manager and your leadership to do it. We we want them to Set a different precedent and set a different tone, given everything that's going on. But it's really on you to, to articulate what your new needs are. So if you need a different day, a, a, a different hour uh, cadence in your day and flexibility in your day, if you need uh time off every Friday now, if you need to work in a different dynamic, if you need your management to interact with you in a different way, you have to tell them. You have to tell him tell them. One of the things I've experienced just in, just in my career, um, every job that I've had, I think every job that I had, maybe not in my early um, my early years, I'd say like when I was 18, 19, 20, but after that, every job that I've had, it, I have felt like it was my responsibility to manage my manager. Not just entitled, not just from something I read, I knew that I had a situation that was very different from everyone else. I had a child, I was in school, I had all these different things going on. So I, my life was not like everybody else's that, you know, when I looked to my left and my right, everybody didn't look like me. They didn't have the same experiences that I had and all those kinds of things. So I, I needed to help my managers understand who I am, what I need and how I need it. And oh, by the way, I'm a stellar employee, too. So I'm going to get things done. So. Here's here's a dynamic of, of you know, kind of needs that, that I have that are still going to get you the success that you need in the workplace. I'm still going to do my job and do my job well. But here's some stuff. You know, I need things to, to be a little bit flexible. So it was my responsibility. I could not expect them to understand my life and understand what I needed and understand what I had going on personally. And really, I didn't necessarily want them to. I didn't need them all in my business. That wasn't that wasn't the point. I wanted them to understand, I'm going to show up, yeah. I'm going to do a great job, and this is how I'm going to do it, but here's some considerations here that I need to make mm-hmm. you aware of. And you have to articulate that. You, as the employee of a company, have to articulate what you need.
1: Absolutely, and and it's interesting you say that you had to manage your, your managers because over the course of the past four years, you know, working in my organization and having two co-founders We've always hired young because our organization was, you know, startup phase. Yeah, so and it's a young we, organization. So right. very often, like, we didn't have the the budget to hire, you know, more senior-level employees to come in. So we had hiring a lot of younger employees or employees from the community that, that we served, you know, in relation to, like, working with kids and mm-hmm. doing community events and right. activism work and things of that nature. So naturally, a lot of the individuals we hired didn't have – you know, a lot of professional experience, right. and what I found is, you know, having three, you know, male supervisors or founders created a dynamic where people had to learn very early how to to navigate, you know, dealing with each one of our different leadership styles. And I often found myself, you know, coaching a lot of our our, our staff members up into to understanding how to deal with each, each one of the yeah. three of us because you know they didn't know right. and you know i'm fortunate that I, I had probably about 10 different jobs before i started this organization yeah. you know that I, I understood how to work with different supervisors and also talking to you and hearing right. about your experiences right. and, and understanding like how you've navigated your life you know as a black woman in the workplace like that that helped me become yeah. a better leader and a better supervisor for all of our staff members and again you know from my executive assistant that you know served all three of us or you know any of, the, any of the other individuals that may have had a problem with one of the three of us, I'm like, look, this is how you should have this conversation with this person. Or this is how you should address this conversation with the three of us moving forward or not have this conversation with just one of us because, you know, you need Imagine if Imagine
0: if they had come to the three of you and said, I need to meet with you all. The way that we're working is it, challenging yep. for me for these reasons. Here's a recommendation. This is this is a new approach that I think we should take. And I know you're saying that a, a lot of people, a lot, especially the young people that work with you all, didn't know to do that because they had they didn't have a professional experience. I didn't either. Yeah. I, nobody told me how to do it either. What I thought through was, what is it that I need? So for me, <coughs> for me, excuse me, it was it was almost like it was a life or death situation. Yeah. I have a son. I'm trying to raise him right. I need I need life to be great for me and him. So I'm. This is it is. This is, this is no, what it is. There was no. was no. Let me slow this, this. Let me think about it. I was like, all right, this money. We to have conversation. And I, I think it,
1: that goes back to that goes back to to where you come from and your situation and you really pushing because one thing you've always said is you were always running from poverty, right? Yeah, so it was. like even having me young and being with me young, yeah. it was always like I gotta get this right and I right. need it right now because. I can't go back to that. And the
0: other thing was, in doing that, that, I always thought, I have to try this out. I have to have this conversation. I have to bring this up. Because if it doesn't go the way that I think it should, then I need to be planning my exit. So it was like, that's why I say it was life or death for me. Because it was like, I need to make a decision about whether or not I'm still going to be here. Because this is what I need. I can't work the way that I'm working anymore. I I, I simply can't. I don't have the... I don't have the lifestyle that is conducive for, you know, meeting at this it's time floating, and then this time yeah, and all. I, yeah, I didn't have that kind of lifestyle the lack of so structure. exactly so I needed to to add more structure in a different way and I needed to bring it up to them to say this is what I now need and this is what's going on so I knew, so I could know so I would know whether they supported it or not because they could have said nope. Sorry. Everybody else does this too bad for you Canese you need to figure it out. So I would know okay great. I'm gonna be here for a few more weeks <laughs> Find me Another job and So I needed to have those answers and some of that was just me being persistent um, and me being uh, Assertive but nobody told me to do it now. I, I, I know for me it, it's, it's different because I, my driver was my son my driver was my son my driver was my life my driver was you so i had i had to make decisions for us it was always make my my mindset was I have to make decisions for us. Now, somebody else might live in a different kind of lifestyle. So they might not have that sense of urgency and that fire underneath of them to say, I need to be a little disruptive because I have some different needs. But it shouldn't matter. It really shouldn't matter whether you have a child or a sick family member or you need a financial, a different financial situation. You need to have that fire in you that says this is this is about me. This is my job. This is my life. I'm making money here, and this this organization has a responsibility to me, just like I have and a it's responsibility not the end all to be all. them. I
1: think very often, especially for for younger professionals, it's like this this scary sense of like, I don't. I, it's like a scary sense yeah, of the unknown. Yeah, they like they're in a
0: box. Like I've yeah. talked to so many young people that have really felt like. You know, when the, like if this doesn't
1: they, work I don't know what to do next. Right. I'm
0: in a box. Like, like, I don't know. I can't say anything because then what's going to happen? What's going to happen is a change will come. But Either a change we, that
1: you and, you make or change why, that they make. But That's why by investing in one's own professional development is so important. Reading so many of these books, watching these podcasts is important because what you'll learn from much older professionals, especially like hearing just from you right now and me right now, like what what younger professionals will learn is that like, It's important to do that. And so many people have done it before and have gotten through it. And until you do it, you will not progress. You will continue to stagnate, be in the same position. Even if you stay at the same place for a few years, like you will stagnate yourself professionally until you actually do lean in.
0: Well, there's something I, I, you know, I don't remember. I wish I could remember the psychologist that I, I I listened to this podcast Um, That talked about resiliency, Mm -hmm. and and you know when we hear that word, it's like okay, I fall, I fall down, I get back up. But really, in the workplace, you know, in everything that you do, being able to think through being resilient, this is this is not going to be the end all be all for you. You just said it. This is not the end of the world. You gonna there's another job, there's another opportunity. You might not like what they say. They may say no. They may have some adverse comment that's gonna. Make you feel some kind of way, but you will persevere. You will get up, yeah. and you will try again someplace else, and you will get through to someone else. You can't let that stop you. But sometimes it's, you have to build up those resiliencies along along the way. And one of the things that we've been talking a lot about is um, as you're working through, as you're navigating through the workplace, when you are asking for something different that that you know no one else has, or or a different flexibility arrangement. You've got to make sure that you're doing all the right things, you know, in, in getting your job accomplished. The slackers don't prevail. Very true. <laughs> so you have to also make sure you need to, to sure yeah, be stellar. You had
1: these expectations. You had these conversations, but you were stellar. Yeah. And that, that is also very key and very important.
0: Yep. Yeah. Very
1: important. Very important. But one of the, one of the other things I think that, that a lot of young people don't realize is power in numbers. Yeah. Right. And, you know very often in, in workplaces you'll have a lot of employees and a lot of staff members that feel the same way and they yep. have these conversations with yep. one another and, and like they'll go out for drinks or happy hour after yep. the workplace and talk about their manager or the supervisor because they feel the same way but yeah. they won't speak up together right. and it's very important for them to, for people to understand like it takes a village to really see progress yep. you know like in multiple facets of life but right. specifically in the workplace right and Absolutely. Like, like you have to have each other's back and you do have to be able to to speak Bring issues together yeah. collectively and, and understand the power of numbers.
0: Yeah, and the, the, the notion of It Takes a Village, you know, we think about that in the context of family and, and rearing children and, and you know, uh, the the family dynamic and making sure that people have what they need and being supportive. But there is, there is a, a truism to the village that you need at work and, and yeah <laughs> it's a truism there that you know you need you need your village at work and I have been in so many workplaces like you just mentioned where you know uh, lunchtime everybody's sitting at the table and they're talking about all oh, this manager this and we need that and nobody speaks up nope. they just sit and commiserate and and talk about <laughs> it and then that's it and that becomes the norm every single day I worked in a place where when I would go down, when I would walk to the cafeteria, and I would see someone I, would, you know, would know, and we greet each other, they would say, "Look, there's a lunch, there's a lunch crew over there. They're over there talking about how this place sucks, and they're talking about this." And they became that group became the lunch group. And every time somebody else new came into the organization, and they were sitting at their table, they'd be like, "Look, they got them, <laughs> they got the lunch crew." So that became <laughs> seriously. So it became the lunch crew was this group of people that talked about why this organization sucks how every manager was awful um how they didn't get the things that they needed and they talked about it at that table and that was it and and with that being so there was no
1: progress there was, there was no, no, no progress there was no one, it to leadership. absolutely there was no not there was none sanguine, of that check-ins. they just stepped like, in they talked the about crew. it they were
0: the gossip, crew. The gossip crew. and and really there was a there was likely some validity to some of the things that they were saying but they weren't going about it in a way to Make any movement or, or, or shift, shift change, and, and, and cause change. What it became was, like you said, the gossip group. It became these people just sit and they gossip and they talk about people and they talk about things, but they really had. It came from a place. It came from a, a place of wanting something to be different and wanting, wanting change to happen, but they didn't. They didn't speak up. So it's important to to have constructive conversations with people. Um, in a way that causes movement, and when I think about my village, because I, I I can certainly say I've had villi- a village along the way. There were people that um, I I grabbed hold of as, as mentor, you know, mentors in, in different environments, as um, peers that had qualities that I liked or things that I saw that they they did well, and I wanted to understand. And and pulling different pieces from people, it helped me understand what and how to craft a message on things that I needed. So my village was, let me see who's doing things right here. Let me see who is modeling behaviors that I I wanna have and let me see how they were able to navigate and, and be successful, especially if they looked like me, which was very, very far and few. But the few that did, I wanted to understand how did they get to the levels that they were, were at and how did they how did they how did they command a room where everybody looked at them and understood what they were saying and didn't go, oh, there's that black person. What, you know, what are they going to say? Like, I, I really I really uh kind of adopted people along the way and they became my village
1: and that's a, exactly and that's a completely different well I want to say it's completely different but that's a yeah that's a, that's a whole nother part of the village of what of what, yeah. it, what it means to take a, to to have a village and yeah you know very often we think of you know the masses or like a multitude of us coming together to to fight for a cause or to collectively support one another right. but also, what it means that it takes a village is being able to personally utilize the village around you and right. the resources around you and the different people around you to help progress your 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 goals and your right. your, your ideology of what success because looks like. Because you'll find for you
0: sometimes you're you're not able forward. to. Sometimes you you might only have the lunchroom crew. You might only have those people to talk to, and they might not be interested in going forward to. The, the leadership in masses to make some kind of change. It's important to,
1: to, grab, to like grab and create your village Right, too. You have right. to create your and, own And village. so in
0: absence of that, so that's what you, you grab people. If there's somewhere you want
1: to go, right, and there's no one in a leadership position that, that you see or you feel like you can talk to, go to your HR director. Like, hey, yep. I want to understand how someone in my position can move up to this yep. position and what that will look like under our organization. Or like you just said, seeing someone who commands the room or speaks a certain way and going to talk to them, even if you don't have a relationship with them. Because which Often, what what people don't often understand in the workplace is, you know, when people hit certain levels of success, typically, not always, but typically, they want to help groom someone under them. Yeah. Like this this idea of mentorship is is a part of human nature, and that's wanted to help, you know, someone. And it it could be like pure altruism, like we want to help yeah. someone, or it could be we want to stroke our own yeah. ego, like like, oh, we're like we're, have, we're handing I it down. Have, like, a, but it. regardless, utilizing that. To your advantage right. and push and using it to push your goals forward. Yeah, it's and I important. have a great
0: example of that um, from a personal perspective in in establishing and having a village. I worked in an organization where i was a promotion so we had a promotion cycle i was up for promotion and they said okay well here's some things that you need to do to meet the expectations of promotion so when the when the time came i had met all the expectations you Said um, you, had you had. i had not okay so the so the time came i had met one of the expectations to get a certification so they said you know what you've done everything else except this one thing we will give you the opportunity for an out-of-cycle promotion, which meant six more months, do do that one thing, meet that certification requirement, and you'll have the opportunity for promotion. It was virtually guaranteed. I just needed to do this one thing. And and when the time came, I did it. 6 months. I'm excited. I go to HR. Guess what? Look what I did. I did. It. I know I'm getting promoted. I'm like, "No, we 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 had a we had a change. We decided that we're not going to grant any out of cycle promotion." I feel like I
1: remember you telling me that Yeah. This. Yeah, okay.
0: yeah, and so they they <laughs> said no. So, because I had a village, Mm -hmm. because I had all of these people I talked to, networked, I had great relationships in human resources, I had great relationships in ethics,
1: I had in the ethics department,
0: I had great relationships in leadership management. Yeah, I had all these (laughs) great relationships. I was like, this is interesting. Um, So I started having conversations with people I was really frustrated about. I was accepting of it because it gave me, human resources gave me pretty much what I thought was a solid explanation, you know, the money and the budget, blah, blah, blah. Some things have changed. And that's what happens in private industry sometimes. The money is there. That's why it's important to follow the money and know what's happening because things can be promised to you and then things can change because of the dynamics of funding and and budget and, and things that happen. So, I, I was accepting of it. I, I, I didn't like it. I was I was upset about it. But I started having conversations like, why wow, did I work so hard? You know, I had these great mentors. I had these great relationships. I'm talking to people. They're like, wait, wait, wait. That's not true. Someone has gotten promoted in this six months. It wasn't you. And they don't look like you. But somebody got promoted. And I was like, what? <laughs> this can't possibly be true. Because I believed in this organization and it's, t- it's telling me the truth. It has to be telling me the truth. So I said, well, I, I know how to write ethics. I, I know how to get an investigation going. So I did that. So I, I wrote ethics and I said, you know what? Here's the here's the email. Here's the information that they gave me. They told me if I did this, this is the outcome. It didn't happen. They said because of these reasons, please investigate and find out. Because I was told there's someone in this department and the reason why I was told that I didn't have the, the lunchroom gossip counter or the, the, the gossip. I had people that cared about business, that cared about me, that cared about my professional growth, and knew that I was working hard and knew that I was a stellar employee. So they're like, wait, this isn't this isn't right. I, I, you know, let me just tell her this. And, and she can do with it as she wishes. But I don't think this is right. Did an investigation. I was promoted in a, in a week. Why was I promoted in a week? because they had given a promotion to somebody else who had the same requirement to me, they just chose to promote them and not me. So if I hadn't filed an ethics investigation, and if I hadn't advocated for myself, it never would have happened. I couldn't expect my manager to do that for me. I told my manager in passing just to say, this is unfair, this isn't right, and they're like, oh, I, you know, I work here too, just like you. I don't know why this happened, this is unfortunate, but you know, maybe next year. So I'm like, no, no, not next year. I need an answer. This, this organization is accountable to me, like I'm accountable to them. They expect me to work and produce every day. I expect an answer to understand how this happened and what if, if this is the truth or not. Found out it was the truth. I literally was promoted in, in, in a week. It was like it never happened. Sorry about that, Kines, this won't happen again. But that, that was because I advocated for myself. Nobody told me to do that. Nobody told me to reach out to ethics. That was me saying, this is life or death for me. I am trying to be successful. I'm working hard to get promoted so I can have more money so I can support us. So you you have to do that. It's important to do that. And that's what the village that's what the village will do for you.
1: I would also say that's a that's a form of activism and how you know, we see now in the past 10 15 years how activism has really changed in the yeah. workplace as we've seen more social justice issues being pushed and you know women, black people, other minority groups, all fighting for yes, their rights, yes. you know, across the spectrum. Yep. But specifically like in the workplace, how we're seeing, like it's important to speak up. Speak up. And activism has really changed over, yep. you know, the past few decades. And now is the time for people specifically in their workplace to take advantage of that. It is. And to be confrontational in a respectful and articulate way yep. um, and to use and to use the systems that are there to help them push it forward, and if it's not, yeah. exit. But activism
0: yeah. has changed. Yeah, it has. It has, and and I think about um, a statement my brother said um, earlier. You know, sometimes people think right now. I think back in the day when they thought about activism, they thought about protesting, and and I, I'd say everybody doesn't feel protesting. Everybody doesn't um, have a have a burning desire to go out and protest. But but right now, people are so unsettled they want to do something. Maybe it's not. Uh, protesting, you know, every day or, or or whenever. Maybe it's finding a different way to to advocate for the social injustice that's happening today. And one of the things my brother said, which I thought was so so important, and just reminded me of the power of the pen. He's like, I'm an activist from my chair. <laughs> I'm an activist from my seat. He didn't say I'm not going to go out and protest, but he said I'm 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 an activist because right now I've he, he what he did was he he moved to an organization that supported. Um, uh, diversity, inclusion, um, was, was comp- is completely vocally against racial inequality, is active in, in pursuing um, equality for, for all people, especially black people that are impoverished in this country and, and, and are, are suffering under, under the hands of uh, social injustice and in need of reform. But he said, I'm going to be an activist for my chair, which meant I'm going to write whomever I need to write. So, so that my voice can be heard. So when it comes to to um, all all the you know d- different victims that have been killed, uh, we we've seen you know in social media so many instances where we're, we're seeing write your congressman, you know write the chief of police, write the attorney general, write all these people, and we have their names, we have their phone numbers, we have their addresses. That, that information is a new out movement. It is we have beautiful. petitions. It's, it's, beautiful. Beautiful. So, it's beautiful. So so. So the the point is everybody doesn't have to protest. Yeah. There are, you can protest and write, but but if if you are a, in a position where you want to do something, you know, the something doesn't have to be going out in the streets and protesting. You can be an activist from your chair. Yeah. And and I, I thought that was such a profound statement because the power of the pen is is just uh, it's a magnificent way to have your your voice heard. It it will never get old. Writing and articulating what you want and being vocal about what you need and 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 you know when it comes to to some of the social reforms that we need, doing that is 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 activating yourself and being an activist from an individual perspective. So um, so that has changed where there's so many different avenues to, to be an activist. And, and back to your point, you know, for me, you know, I, when I look back on my life, I was just, you know, I felt like I was just doing stuff. Yeah, I was you an activist. I was doing you've been stuff a, you've, yes. been a,
1: you've, you've technically been an activist in the workplace. You've created avenues and opened up doors for countless women and black people in general and yeah. all the different corporate entities that you've worked at because you've been willing to write ethics and challenge, yeah. you know, statements that your and supervisor have said to you, or, um, you know, push back on different ways that they have treated people or have created structures. Like, and it's super important for all of us, right. Specifically in this time to understand what we're doing is enough. What we're doing is a form yeah, of activism, absolutely. right? Like, and it's very, it's very easy for social media, you know for us to be on social media and feel like we aren't doing enough or feel like because we aren't going to a protest we aren't standing up for black rights or standing up for minority rights um or standing up against police brutality and that's not the case right you know and we can all technically we can all do a little more but we are all doing enough and it's it's so important for people to understand that with the current dynamics and like with everything that's going on with with our accessibility of social media and our ability to to write and call out Congress members. And like you said, all the information is out there, yeah. like activism has changed tenfold. You yeah. know, and as I, and I, as I look back to, to the the March on Washington that, that had just happened, you know, we still saw thousands of people out there and despite it being COVID, but because it is COVID, because yeah. we are in a pandemic, like, Use, use your use your fingers. Yeah, yep. You know, use the information that's right, presented people, to you. Yeah. And a lo- push. A lot of people are
0: out protesting. Some of the people that really do want to pro- protest a lot. You know, there's several. You know, hundreds of thousands of people that are probably not out there because of COVID. So we're in a pandemic at the same time that we're at you know maximum frustration for everything that's going on from the racial tension, and so you know people are. Uh, frustrated, unsettled, unhappy, tired, depressed, all kinds of things. And they're trying to figure out how can they invoke change? And and the pandemic has caused us to be um, more stationary and, and, and at home more than we ever would be. But we still have the power of the pen and we still have the, the telephone. And we still have ways that our voices can be heard and, and we should just keep doing it. But and you're right, the, we're doing one enough. One of the important
1: things, and this kind of goes back to a lot of the points that you made about, you know, standing up in the workplace and and activism in the workplace is employees now have the power to challenge their corporate entities yeah. and their companies to do more yeah right like we yep. often hear how co- companies and corporations don't pay taxes especially like the really big ones yeah like they don't pay taxes and you know they have all these loopholes and things of that nature and a lot of that's true But we also have the power, again, coming back to the village and coming back to the collectivity, like we have the power to push these entities to donate more to to causes that we care about, to stand up and say no to things that aren't right, right? And like we're beginning to see that. And until we understand individually the power that we have in control of our lives and in control of what our workplace looks like and what our company does, we will never really understand the power we possess and we yeah. hold and we've seen examples of that yeah right like we've seen how com- so many companies have responded to the blm movement and to, to to activism and to police brutality and even though you know some some corporations may be doing it because it's a fad and because right. they, they feel they like they feel, need to, to yeah. look good yeah. it's still on our us as employees that care to push back and make them do more and yeah. we've seen that right yeah like we've seen now finally NBA players protest yeah. and, and make the NBA cancel two, yep. three days of pr- playoff yep. games. Even though the playoffs came back, they still right. cancel that. Right? Let's let's understand it. So, like celebrities and, and and that's a business. These, the NBA is a business, and these um, professional athletes—they're employees. Yeah, they're, they are employed. They are collecting uh-huh. checks from these associations they're part of. Yeah. Right. Or we look at you know another example with with The Rock and him dis- him delaying. You know his his shoe um, his shoe launch yeah. because of the killing of Jacob Blake, right? And to protest that, right? Yeah. And I'm sure he had a big he had a big part of pushing Under Armour to do that,
0: yeah, right? And yeah. so
1: understanding, especially for professional athletes now and these celebrities now, that you know, especially as the the black community, you know, us having you know a 1.3 trillion dollar buying power, we gonna stand behind you, yeah. And yeah. now we're and seeing we are watching. an unprecedented amount yeah. of white allies right beside us, yeah. locking arms. So if we have 1.3 trillion in buying yeah. power and we add, you know, other minority races and other people of color and then also yeah. our white allies in terms of our buying power, we're gonna get behind you. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you're an athlete. For sure. We're gonna get behind you. And so it's important for us all to individually understand the yeah. power we have in activism and yeah. what that looks like for us individually. Yeah. And I, I really, I really want to continue to push. These professional athletes and these celebrities to do more.
0: Yeah, and the the other thing about like you said, you made a good, a really great point that they're employees. They are employees of a yeah. business, but they're also role models. So you know, when you decide to step into the spotlight, when you decide to be in the limelight, you have you have, you have a, responsibility a responsibility whether you want want it yeah. to be there or not. You become an instant role model. And now with social media and so many platforms to see what people are doing, everybody's watching. Yeah. Everybody's watching. They're watching every move that you make, and you know. Know, the, the biggest thing right now is silence appears to be complicit. If you are silent, you are complicit with what's going on. Yeah. So it is your responsibility to be vocal. It's organization's responsibility to be vocal. So one of the things that you said that, that made me think about how so many organizations are um, you know, they're, they're putting statements out on their websites. They, they are, you know, very, very uh, supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement and they're vocal in it. But then there's several organizations that are silent. They're saying absolutely nothing. And if you are an employee of their organization and that makes you uncomfortable, do something. Say something. Write your leader. Talk to your leader. Call them up. They're home. They're not in the office. Call them up. They are home. So find a way to get to them and say, you know, this is unacceptable. I need to see, I need to see that you are supportive of me and not just me as a as a as a black woman or as a black person, supportive of everybody in this company that yeah. is that is fed up with what we're seeing. Because it's not just black people are experiencing it, but white people, all other, you know, races and ethnicities are like you said, they're locking arms too and saying, What 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 is happening here? We can't stand for this. And if they see that these companies are making a a stance in a position, then that that gives them that that charges them up to activate too. They need the support of of the masses to be able to do it. So every everything that you're saying about how the NBA is responding and how the players are responding, everybody's watching. So that's activating them too. So these companies that are solid, hold them accountable for it.
1: And I'm happy I'm happy you said that because a, a very important thing that we also have to realize is. When we see someone standing up in the workplace and when we see someone standing up to things that we believe are wrong we it's we have a duty and responsibility to our friends our co-workers and other people that's in the fight with us to support them yeah right like don't leave people astray and when i think when i yeah. think about that and everything you just said i recently did a um executive certification a couple months ago that i completed and I realize I actually need to respond to this now that I'm saying this out loud because one of the individuals in my in my in my um, certification course, this white guy, he was super brilliant, and he sent this really long email to the um, to the program manager or the dean or whoever was in charge of that program, and was like, "Hey, now that given everything that's going on, I really want I really want to to speak up and say some of these things like how I think there needs to be." more inclusivity in in the courses. We need to have more diversity in the teachers that are talking about. And specifically in this space, because this is a social impact thing, Like I believe that we need to talk about how social impact is dominated by white people and how we need to create more ways of inclusivity for black individuals to have their voices heard in the social impact and and
0: philanthropic
1: (laughs) space. Right? And... (laughs) He, it was a really long email, and I'm not I'm not the best at to responding to emails. Yeah. but, uh, Like we have to like I have I will cc in this and a couple other us. I need to. respond. I'm glad. I'm I need to go glad. I'm glad it was brought up, and, 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 and let them him. know
0: your mother is available to have those conversations. So I would love to. We we need to have more forms. He's white. He is right. The the world is not just white. There are so many different you know uh, uh, races, ethnicities, uh, experiences that people have. And and the and it needs to be representative of what the world actually looks like. And so I'm I'm glad he brought it up, and I'm glad he that reminded you to respond because I'm sure he's right because you you are responding to it now. So I think you know he's right. Yeah, that, he's
1: absolutely right. Yeah. I just at the time I was like, gosh, I need to, I got to come back with some fire too and like have more <laughs> tangible examples of like yeah, you know, like because he he hit examples and talked about specific and You know me, I'm kind of. You know, I'd be like paying attention, but like also like working and like doing <laughs> that stuff. So I'm like, gosh, I don't remember anybody's name. <laughs> would have needed, I would have needed to do more research right. to like respond yeah. as articulately think, as him. But I think, but I think one of the things you. that
0: you can talk about, you know, is is you know, and it, you can use me as an example. Like, there's leadership has all different colors, ages, yeah. you know, ethnicities. I think about you know with myself. You know, when I when I moved into the executive ranks in the, in the federal government. I remember, so when I, when I started in that job, I started in a, uh, a class, it was called the Candidate Development Program, and it's an executive class that some federal agencies have. You can, you can certainly apply and become an executive, or you can go through these programs and become an executive. So there were 18 people, and I was one of three um, black people in the, in the class. And I, I, I'm almost certain that if I wasn't the youngest... I was probably one of two that was in my same age group. I'm, I'm almost certain that I was the youngest person in that. How old were you at that time? Um, I, when I started it, I was maybe 30, it was 2014. Is that 37 when I started the program. And so when I finally finished it, I was 40, federal government
1: which is executive. when you-
0: <laughs> Boom! Look at that! <laughs> but, look at that! Look at say. that! that! Look at I'm saying that to say, though, okay. leadership, leadership, like he said, exactly. so leadership, what I'm saying to to say, leadership is not just, you know, older white men, yep. which is what we often see. It's young black women, too, because at that age, I was considered young for moving into an executive position in the federal government. So it's things like that. Like that's a different that's a different set of experiences that people people don't know unless it's told to them or they see it. So I lived in my, my little world over here and these things were happening to me and I were a part of them and I was, you know, maybe, you know breaking barriers and, and, and opening doors for myself. But um, if, if I don't tell people and if I don't show people that, they don't know that it exists. So he's right. You know, there's there's so much more to leadership and being inclusive and uh, starting new businesses and things like that that don't look like what we know is the older white male figure that we've seen for many generations. It doesn't look like that anymore. Never. So it doesn't show up that way. So um, I'm, I'm glad you remember it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you were reminded it's, it's about that. It's unfortunate
1: because a lot of companies still don't know how to respond to that Yeah. because they are older white males. Yes, yes. And so it's like, yes. oh, what do we what do? we do? Where, yeah. How do we, yeah. you know, and, and it's really unfortunate. And I think what we'll begin to see over the next year or two is a lot of, Black consultants being hired to address these concerns yeah right because it isn't just a one it isn't just a one a one-streak answer yeah. I was talking to uh, one of our funders a couple of months ago um, probably probably around June May or June you know when a lot of this mo- these movements start kicking off after George Floyd's death and he was saying you know his company was a little slower to respond he runs a really large fund he was like, they, they've been a little slower to respond because he wants to get it right. Yeah, you know which I commended him for. That. I do. You know because he said, you know, one of the first suggestions were we just need to go hire black people, and right. that's not that's not the, that's that what is a lot of companies do. That, that is, is not, not the answer. answer. And it's you know what he answer. said is he was like, I don't want, I don't want it. Like one thing that I really don't want is for it to look like. You know we're essentially just buying black people and it's not a number that comes, that, that comes back to the many of these companies are run by older white men so they don't understand like, that that kind of looks like you're just you're just throwing money at black yeah. people here you go we're gonna just buy a couple black yep. people to make ourselves yep. look more diverse make yep. ourselves look more inclusive and that's not the answer that's not the and answer. so what i really think is going to happen over the the, the insinuating months is that we'll see a lot of black consultants and a lot of black ex- uh, individuals that have been executives like yourself being hired by some of these large firms to create more inclusivity. Yeah. And to really to really change what what the workplace looks like and how to create these structures and these, this openness and these open channels that are much, much needed. Yeah, They're needed um and and you can't look to yourself that has perpetuated a problem to no to you help, can't. to help fix the problem yep. like you you need additional opinions and you can't be too prideful to yeah. ask for help yeah you can't yep.
0: <laughs> no i think that totally that totally makes sense and it you, you know companies have even before even before the height of where we are with racial tension companies have traditionally done you know, we don't have a. Uh, we need a black person <laughs> let's go hire a black person and it just becomes a numbers game I, I remember working someplace and it was said that um when i when i look at my my leadership team they didn't say this verbatim but it was when i look at my leadership team and i see black faces you know it, what was said was now that i can look around at my leadership team and it looks more diverse i feel good but really in essence what they were saying was I have three black leaders. I, go me. It. Go me. Go me. Go me, go my company. So <laughs> put pat oh on the back. That's, that's, really, that's really what some organizations believe, and that's not it. That absolutely is not it. So I I applaud and commend them for wanting to be thoughtful and intentional about getting that right and what right means to them. I, I think they're still trying to figure that out, but it's not just going to hire black people.
1: What are some of the things you think should be done?
0: I think that, you know, it goes back to one of the things that I, I've said Um, was a challenge in my own career when we think about where we recruit and how we um, a lot of times one of the reasons why you can't get great black leaders is because you're not going to where great black leaders are and sometimes you know when when you know us as great black leaders apply the you know if we may not look or fit the part in the same way our our uh, white counterparts are, for a number of different reasons that you know if you put the resume side by side they look different and but that's that's good it's 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 you have to embrace the differences in someone's journey and, challenging yourself and if to, they have to open up to and that. it's it's really about uh, you need to unpack whether or not they actually have the qualifications that you're looking for and the only way you're going to do that is to start the interview yeah. to start the process so if you're going about it the same way that you always have you're going to get the same thing so one
1: of the responses technically could be we're going to spend a little bit longer if we typically try to turn around a, a, a timetable of hiring an executive, you know, let's say six six weeks, we're actually going to and we look at twenty candidates. Typically, we're actually going to expand that to thirty candidates yeah. in a couple more weeks. Yeah. I think instilling things like that, Making even if it change, isn't as black changing. and white, yeah, you know, changing but like the dynamics, yeah, but like like saying you know we'll take more time to do this. Like we're not going to be in such a rush, or we'll bring in a, an additional third party um, firm or consultant to help us you know, actually look at things and say and also have open conversations about like this is the typical or the type of of resume or person that we typically hire. What are some areas we can kind of switch that up with? Yeah. And ask them, like what what could that look like? Yeah. Right? Like yep. what could that look like? And we don't challenge ourselves, well these leaders don't challenge themselves enough to do that. Yeah. And and those things are super important because whether whether they understand it or not is just because you hired two black people and now you want to fit the box, that doesn't mean that the younger black individuals that you hire now feel comfortable having open channels of conversation. Uh, that's, right. That's and like that's a, nother, that's a whole another yeah. that's a whole nother dynamic yeah. that is honestly not, yep. not addressed.
0: Yep. Yeah, and I think when you look at the, um, you made a good point about, when you look at the applicant pool, before you even do that, you know, when you look at the criteria for when you want to hire six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is, when you need to really go back to these job descriptions. If you want to be able to hire people from all different races, ethnicities, backgrounds, and you want uh, to, to add some robustness in your hiring pool and your leadership, you have to look at what you're asking for, too. So if you're looking for someone who is just technically competent and has the capabilities to do the job, then you're going to get the same kind of people applying every day or every every time. If you look at things like different actual leadership competencies, um, different uh, soft skills that have nothing to do with the job. So emotional intelligence, um, things like. Uh, uh, effectiveness and in, in leading people do they have human resources uh, capabilities as well all of these things are leadership traits that you need you I mean gone are the days when you just need somebody that's technically savvy to, to mm-hmm. do a particular job you need people that have empathy have great personalities have all kinds of skills how do you find that no you can't put in your job description I want somebody with a great personality no but there are different ways that you can craft the message and it goes back to what you said hiring these different types of consultants firms and different people that know what that kind of looks like so you can get the right kind of people and and diverseness in your in your candidate pool but you and have also, to change and also, your
1: requirements and your needs and another part another component is expanding and restructuring your interview your yeah interview, yeah your interview process right like very often we have these straightforward cookie cutter like interview questions that people yeah. go down the line like Check, 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 yeah. check, check, check. You almost, but like asking yeah. people, what's your story? Yeah, what you yeah. Passionate you passionate about? To, and, yeah, like really yeah, yeah. understanding and learning who the person, who the is. person is. And giving them, super um, important. and I think
0: two things like uh, different scenarios, kind of stepping through how they think through solving mm-hmm. problems and things like that. Um, it's interesting. So, you know. It, so would
1: you say it's, is it, and this, could, this comes back to, it could be like a, a component of like ethics, but asking people how they will respond to certain social issues or social dynamics, like, is that, do you think that's something that's appropriate or is that something that, could could create ethical concerns in i think i
0: think it could create ethical concerns but that's why you have a partnership with your human resources um team but i think it's important to do that to do that in a way that doesn't get you in trouble Mm -hmm. i think you do want to you do want to understand how maybe you don't add specificity in the type of issue Mm -hmm. but you want to craft a message so when issues arise such as blah 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 or maybe some light examples of what that might be to find out how they would Manage through situations the same way you ask questions about how you deal with difficult employees. Providing examples of what difficult means is is kind of the way you would do your interview. The same it's the same kind of leading questions when it comes to social, uh, responsive you know responses to different issues and things like that that arise. I think it's important to ask those kind of questions, but you do need to make sure that you're working within you know the the ethical bounds of, of the company. But I I'll, I'll flip that though. So when we talk about um, when we talk about organizations having a responsibility to to have a more diverse candidate pool and things like that, I can think about on the, on the opposite end of me being in a, in a hiring manager position when I have, you know, made a concerted effort to make sure I'm getting the right candidates for specific jobs. I mean, I've been in positions where I've hired 50, I mean, where I've uh, interviewed 50 60 people for a one given job just because we were really working to try to broaden the candidate pool. And one of the things that I found for from my for myself is when I structured the interviews where there were, you know, sometimes I would do a panel versus one-on-ones, because I've been in a number of interviews where, you know, you've had where you may have a candidate interviewing four people separately or you have them do a panel where four people are together. I'll tell you, I, I've had so many instances where I was the hiring manager, it was my team, and I brought in a panel of people from my team where there were four of us total. I was the only black woman because I was the only black woman, period. And I've had you know, maybe an older white male, maybe a younger white woman, um, uh, maybe a, a middle, middle-aged white male. Just because this was the dynamic of the team that I had, and we've had the, the panel set up where we brought candidates in from every different ethnicity, every different walk of life that we thought would qualify for the job. And when we started asking them questions, they would direct the answers to the older white guy almost every time. So I ask the question of you and you start answering and you look that way because that surely must be the hiring manager. So they're not even addressing me. They don't even know. So a lot of times they wouldn't even know that in that room i was a person that would make the final decision and i didn't say we just introduced ourselves and and let them know that you know this is a joint interview here's you know here's some some information about what the company does what our division does so they wouldn't necessarily know who was in the position of, of hiring so for for us as, as as candidates out here in the job market i'm saying us as, as people in general we have to make sure that we're paying attention to uh, the organizations that we're applying to and giving everyone the same respect eye contact information we are we are a business we are in the business of selling ourselves yeah. to that particular company so we need to address every single person in that room like they have a say in our ability to be hired so a lot of times what I hear i'm having a tough time finding a job and i you know start asking away about what's happening <laughs> on the interview what's this and I find out things like that because I experienced that. I experienced that so many times I can't even, I can't even tell you. And I would be so frustrated because I would find this candidate, this this person might have been, this person might have been good for this job. But they don't even, they don't even see me. And I'm the person making the decision. They don't even see me. So I would politely end that interview. You're not it. We're not about to waste everybody's time with more questions when
1: <laughs> So you just did the interview. Yeah.
0: There have been times that I that I would allow it to go on because I wanted to to, you know, just just verify that I'm seeing what I'm seeing. But I'll tell you, every other person in that room would would see it too. They would be, like, I can't believe they didn't even make eye contact with you. They would see it. They would see it. And I would sit in different spots. I would try to <laughs> set it up different ways and they wouldn't even address me and even if i was asking the questions directly they wouldn't address me so words to the wise for anybody who is in a position where they are wanting to be a part of an organization that may not look like them or maybe different from what they're used to make sure that you're you're selling your best self when it comes to interviewing and sharing with them who you are so that they want you to be a part of their organization because every organization isn't behind the times. There are some that are very progressive and wanting to have uh, an inclusive workforce. So we need to make sure that we help them with it. (laughs) We need to make sure that they are getting the help they need to hire people that look like us.
1: That's it. That's it. Help them (laughs) them hire
0: us. Help them hire us.
1: On that note, that's color scheme. All right. We're going to end on that. (laughs) We're going to let the people know exactly what they need to do to get hired during these COVID times. That's right. Color it. Color scheme. All right,
0: we are done. Mm. <laughs>